Welcome everyone, I am Michael, your host for Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the book of Enoch the Prophet. This is the second segment of the revised summary discussion for part 5. A reasonable chronological sequence, as mentioned earlier in the introduction and reiterated in the summary discussion of part 2, a reasonable chronological sequence of historical events as they occurred becomes a necessity for readers who still might be confused by the non-sequential technique employed in the poetic retelling of Enoch's story. While on the one hand the author's intent has been to maintain alignment with the source document, there has clearly been many instances of rearranging materials differently than what appears in the 1883 document. The editor of that book also did some rearranging of his own, but it was erroneous. While there is no claim here that rearrangements of material appearing in this retelling are completely accurate, it seems prudent to at least provide the audience a reasonable, understandable explanation of the historical sequence of events as they seem to have occurred. The most reasonably correct chronological sequence of events are as follows. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden encounter Satan who conspires to corrupt humanity with the help of others of his species. The event of Satan leading a group of other aliens to go down to the earth is the first extraterrestrial intervention in the evolution of mankind. An unidentified species of extraterrestrials came down to Earth with Satan around the time of Enoch. These celestial beings mated with human females who produced offspring that were revered as gods for their size and abilities. Seeing how this event caused humanity to suffer from the oppression of these false gods, which were the mutation of human and extraterrestrial crossbreeding, Enoch prayed to Eloi. As a descendant of Adam, Enoch knew the one true God of all the universe. God sends Elohim to investigate and Enoch receives eternal life in order to travel with the watchers to testify before God about the transgression occurring on earth. Elohim take Enoch away from the earth to appear in court in front of Eloi who made all of his judgments known to Enoch. God sends Enoch back to the earth where he confronts the errant extraterrestrials who conspired with Satan and he informs them of the Lord's judgment for them. After completing this task of reproving the errant sons of heaven, the Elohim take Enoch away with them because he could no longer remain on the earth after being transfigured to have eternal life. Enoch was the first of three humans to be given eternal life, which has also required that these men could not stay on earth. After the Elohim had shown Enoch many mysteries of the universe and future events of earth, they returned Enoch to the earth for one year so that he could teach all of what he had learned to his son Methuselah. Enoch leaves the earth with Elohim a year later to resume his eternal existence among the watchers while waiting for the time when his son would contact him as he had instructed. Methuselah caused Enoch when Noah was born because Noah did not appear normal when he was born. He was the first human born as albino, a genetic anomaly. Enoch returns to earth to assure his son and grandson that Noah is human because they feared the child was an abomination. Enoch assures them all that the child was human and that he would save humanity in a future year. Noah grows up to be a good and righteous man and he calls to Enoch when the ice comet finally approaches the earth. Enoch returns with the watchers to inform Noah of what he needs to do. The watchers take Noah into the holy conveyance and Noah receives everlasting life in order to ensure his longevity and success. Noah lives on earth for approximately 1,000 years longer to ensure the successful survival of the human species. The event of the Great Deluge on Earth was the second extraterrestrial intervention, a CE6 event, in the evolution of mankind. 
The third extraterrestrial intervention in the evolution of mankind also correlates with a transfiguration event when Jesus Christ receives everlasting life prior to his crucifixion. Enoch accurately predicted that the third CE6 would have a less than desirable outcome with generation after generation perverseness occurring for mankind. The truth of this is the reason why there will not be an eighth era of mankind. The final CE6 event for mankind will include the second coming of Jesus Christ, Judgment Day, and the Apocalypse. However, this final intervention event does not have the intent to prevent the termination of a species. The sequential errors appearing in the early English translation of a poorly maintained ancient copy in Ethiopic complicate the story, but there is a seriously artistic quality to this non-sequential storytelling technique. It has been the author's decision to keep the non-sequential telling of events found in the English translation of the Ethiopic manuscript because a great many modern stories are also non-sequential. The purpose of presenting a story out of sequence is to further captivate and interest the audience. While there are some small parts from the translation that become easily rearranged for better sensibility, maintaining the overall non-sequential construction of the plot enables better reader interest in the poetic retelling by creating the need to unravel the suspenseful mystery of the story. The Beast Leads the World to War Based upon all that has been presented in this poetical retelling and the discussions about the interpretations of a prophecy that originated more than 6,000 years ago, the author presents a final and conclusive theoretical explanation for what it all means and why humanity's existence must end. Mankind's warring and killing has not ceased, will not cease, and will result in the destruction of the earth by mankind's own doing. In an effort to end a heinous war perpetrated by a pagan heretic in the first half of the 20th century, the nation identified in this prophecy as the accursed of the accursed forever, the United States of America, discovered the power of a star and turned it into a weapon. If there was some confusion about why the United States of America would be the accursed of the accursed forever, then perhaps it might be clarified in the understanding that it has been the nation that discovered the power of a star for the purpose of making it a weapon. The event of using this power, which only God should allow any creatures to have, became instantly known to Almighty God, and he sent an emissary of peace to declare God's eternal truth. The final CE6 event has the intent to separate the faithless wicked idolaters from the righteous believers of God's eternal truth prior to the apocalypse. All the souls of humanity will be separated into two easily identifiable categories, easily distinguished by a mark only visible to the reaping angels. And those angels tasked with reaping the righteous souls in the rapture will be able to complete the task quickly. There will be many people who will suffer prior to repenting of their sins of blasphemy, but the angels will not even be able to see them until they do. Those who have blasphemed the Holy Spirit will perish without forgiveness regardless of their attempts to repent. The self-extermination of the human species becomes the final stage of its evolution on Earth, but the species will not be entirely exterminated. The souls of the righteous who are taken in the rapture will continue to evolve, and they will become new life elsewhere in the universe. Adaptation to imposed demands is more than the explanation for physiological changes, and the spiritual evolution to eternal life is the next step in human evolution. There does not seem to be any information in this or other prophecies to indicate that there will be redemption for mankind as a result of the final CE6 event. 
The prophecy within the New Testament revelations and all signs currently occurring clearly indicate that God's wrath will be imposed upon mankind and those fallen angels who corrupted mankind in defiance of Almighty God. There will be many people who make the choice to accept God's eternal truth and reject the lies of Catholicism, but there will not be enough of the Earth's population converting to God's eternal truth to justify redemption of the species on this planet. In part four, there was an eighth error potentially followed by innumerable other errors of peace and prosperity on Earth. However, an eighth error of peace and prosperity was never going to follow the seventh error because of the perversion of truth that lasted many generations. Separating the description of an eighth error from the sequence of the seven errors enabled Enoch to present his vision of two different possible outcomes after the seventh error. One of two possible outcomes for mankind who will finally come to know the truth of God's extraterrestrial existence when discovering the power of a star for peaceful purposes is to have his blessings for a continued future on earth in a new era, the eighth era of mankind, during which all the world is at peace and benefits from the introduction of advanced technologies and gifts of spiritual enlightenment. Of course, the alternate outcome from the discovery of a star's power and using it as a weapon becomes the eventual and complete annihilation of the human species. Humanity did not come to have the power of a star for peaceful purposes. Mankind developed nuclear power for weapons. There are also evil government entities that want to continue developing fusion energy for use as the next generation weapon system. Humanity would rather kill each other and any visiting extraterrestrial beings than make peace with its own species or others in the universe. The souls of billions of humans will perish because Americans chose to believe in the scientific knowledge of men, worship the beast, and accept sexual immorality instead of believing in God, accepting God's eternal truth, and practicing sexual morality. The eighth era of peace and prosperity does not occur for humanity because the end of the seventh era will be horror and suffering in global thermonuclear war instigated by senseless and idiotic world leaders who are pagan idol worshippers. Enoch's series of sermonic prophecies comprises some of the fiercest fire and brimstone preaching ever seen within a text from ancient times, which truly has been the word of God much longer than the canonized Holy Bible has pretended to be. The number of woes within Enoch's sermons is not significant as numerical symbolism of anything in particular that the author has been able to determine. But the extent to which Enoch goes to expound upon the sins of mankind is very emotionally influential. Juxtaposed by the cataloging of the blessings for the righteous, the condemnation of sinners appearing in this latter part of the story of Enoch is a final warning. In the current day and age, people have become numb to warnings because there have been entirely too many warnings. For the last 100 or more years, preachers have been saying, This is the end! Many of them made a lifelong occupation out of telling these warnings, but none of them were prophets. They all served the Lord in their own time and capacity as God determined, but now it is time for the truth to be told. Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, because God is only one entity and the eternal Holy Spirit. A Non-Sequential Flashback Technique the second canto in this last part of the poetic retelling of the Enoch story brings several important concepts together for a denouement that is not the end of the story of mankind. Within this last canto is the clarification about the birth of Noah and why Enoch needed to return to earth for the second time. Although this second return of Enoch is out of sequence as a kind of flashback ending, 
Enoch's third return is to meet with Noah before the great flood occurs. The third return of Enoch occurred earlier in the story sequence. There is a greater amount of detail presented about Noah with this flashback technique, which emphasizes the fact that Noah was a genetic anomaly. Noah's birth as an albino also symbolizes the truth about how God would never impregnate a human female. Noah's physical appearance also symbolizes God's attempt to purify humanity with the great deluge. The flood is not the end of the story. The story is not over until the apocalypse happens. There really is no other possible ending to the story. Mankind is poised to commit global thermonuclear genocide at the end of the seventh era because humanity fails Judgment Day. Readers must understand that presenting this information is not for the purpose of enabling anyone to attempt to prevent this prediction from happening. If this book were the only document describing the event of an apocalypse, then it might be reasonable to argue against the veracity of statements made in this text. However, there are multiple documents on the topic of an apocalyptic end to humanity, and there is more truth to this book and others corroborating the truth of this prediction than anyone, anywhere, can reasonably deny. The only thing anyone can do is to prepare for the eventuality by accepting God's eternal truth, repenting of Catholicism, and living righteously until the rapture. There is one significant item appearing in this section that is another good example of the many antediluvian revelations in the original Enoch story. The reference to the Tablet of Heaven appears multiple times throughout the epic tale, and this reference seems emphasized in the last part of the book. Archaeological discoveries in Iraq occurring in the middle of the 20th century have uncovered ancient clay tablets left behind by a Sumerian scribe who endeavored to make copies of a story about Gilgamesh. This recently discovered ancient epic story corroborates the biblical tale of giants being the offspring of extraterrestrials and human females. The Gilgamesh character has a human mother and an Anunnaki father. The Anunnaki are theorized to have been the offspring of an extraterrestrial species by accounts of translating ancient Sumerian records recovered by archaeologists in Iraq, which was also ancient Assyria and Babylon. These mythological sons of the Sumerian god An are then understood to have been the offspring of extraterrestrial beings who came from the heavens to earth and impregnated human females. The offspring were abominations and genetic mutations such as Gilgamesh. What remained of that civilization after the flood of Noah's time are the clay tablets. But the names of Nephilim, Anunnaki, and others could all be referring to the same hybrid alien-human species Enoch complained about to Eloi. A comparative representation of the concept of how an extraterrestrial species procreated with humans also appears in Greek and Roman mythologies, with the offspring being Hercules or Heracles, depending upon the language origin. Regardless of the origin, the archaeological evidence and historical record one takes into consideration about this curious component of ancient epic stories, they all have one thing in common. There is a written record from various ancient cultures that substantiates the premise that an extraterrestrial species has attempted to influence the evolution of humanity, and a supreme being punished them for doing so in violation of his commandments. 
The clay tablets recovered in Iraq, which provided the most recent corroborating evidence of an ancient alien visitation on Earth, may be referred to as the Tablets of Earth, because they were made of dirt. In the poetic version of the Enoch story, the author's narrative injects suggests that Enoch's Tablet of Heaven may have been a technology given to Enoch by the Watchers, and this technology may have been very similar to modern technology. A Tablet of Heaven was something that did not originate on Earth in the time of Enoch because it came from extraterrestrials. The tales of inexplicable power associated with the Ark of the Covenant may also be proof that there was an alien technology associated with that holy relic. The instances of ancient and even more recent appearances of potentially alien technology validate the premise within the poetic retelling that at least one species of extraterrestrial visitors has shared technology with mankind that had the purpose of leading humanity to know Almighty God. While further validation may be argued in support of this premise that God presents humanity with such artifacts of extraterrestrial origin by referring to the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments given to Moses and the vision of a scroll or little book being given to John in the book of Revelation, there does not seem to be any existing physical evidence to corroborate these tales. The Tablet of Heaven, the Stone Tablets with Ten Commandments, and the Ark of the Covenant are nowhere to be found on earth. John ate the little book, which may have only existed in his vision. While it is possible to theorize that God ordered his eternal servants, the Watchers, to remove all of these items of an advanced technology in order to prevent reverse engineering of their technical capabilities before it was time for mankind to have that technology, it is relevant to consider that mankind has developed various technologies in the present day that can clearly explain how such ancient references to advanced technologies are not merely fantasies. All of these strangely familiar extraterrestrial originating and physically missing artifacts of advanced technology are not at all mysterious or fantastical. Lasers can write on stone tablets or steel plates. Handheld computing devices are common technologies that can read magnetic disks and thumb drives. And many of these technologies can be connected to each other for the transference or translation of data. Enoch's early vision of an advanced technology, the frosty orb with sound emanating from it known today as television, was not just a prophecy of a future invention. It was a testimony of how all these tales of advanced technology are true. Enoch's Tablet of Heaven was an advanced extraterrestrial technology that the Watchers had given to him when they returned him to his family. For that one year when he was asked to teach them, what they needed to know to prepare for the flood that would come in Noah's lifetime. The Tablet of Heaven stayed with Enoch when he returned to live forever with the Watchers. One might also consider the unusual description of Elijah's uncanny capabilities with what might have seemed like ordinary objects as potentially being examples of extraterrestrial originating technology. It might be a far stretch to even suggest that Moses' staff may have been an extraterrestrial originating technology, but the possibility is a reasonable postulation. Although there is no physical evidence to prove these theories of advanced technologies, it is a certain conclusion that God chose these men in history for significant missions affecting the evolution of mankind. God's Chosen Ones
Noah was a chosen one who saved the righteous and the innocents from the first destructive reset on the planet, and nobody ever said he was the son of God. Moses was a chosen one who liberated the Israelites from the oppression of the Egyptians who worshipped false gods originating from the time of the Methom, and nobody ever said he was the son of God. Jesus was the chosen one whose message of repentance in the event of his unwavering testimony about eternal life in God's Holy Spirit will save the souls of the righteous from perishing in the apocalyptic fires of the final destruction of planet Earth. All people who say and believe that Jesus was the Son of God and born of a human virgin female will perish for that insult. Noah was not the Son of God, but he saved many of his family and the animals. Moses was not the Son of God, but he delivered the Israelites from bondage. Jesus was not the Son of God, but he delivered the message of God's forgiveness and hope for eternal life. God chose all of these men for a special mission, but he did not impregnate a human female to give any of them life. They were all heroes among men who answered God's call, and their spirits existed with God before their birth because it is God's Holy Spirit that gives all creatures life. Noah had a physical resemblance to the Elohim, the Shining Ones, when he was born, and God imparted a greater portion of his Holy Spirit within Noah at birth. This same phenomenon of spiritual blessing occurred for Jesus, although there are no existing texts that describe Jesus as being born albino. It was not a requirement to be born as an anomaly to receive God's spiritual blessing at birth. At a minimum, the claim that Jesus was truly blessed with a greater portion of God's Holy Spirit at birth than other human babies is a reasonably acceptable postulation. Enoch, Noah, and Jesus have specific and physically surviving written records validating that God transfigured them to have everlasting spiritual life. The written stories about all three of these historical persons and Elijah are documented occurrences of CE4 events occurring thousands of years ago. And these records are the undeniable archaeological evidences that mankind has been interacting with extraterrestrials for thousands of years. God is an extraterrestrial originating entity and an eternally spiritual being. The description of Elijah's transfiguration are not as clearly recorded in the Old Testament as they are in the events which occur in the book of Enoch the prophet for both Enoch and Noah. The greatest detail of transfiguration appears in the hearsay testimonies. The missing testimony is that of the actual witness, the Apostle John. Hiding this testimony was the instruction God further gave John when he ate the little book, because that enabled the concealment of Enoch and the punishment of mankind for the last 2,000 years. Elijah cowered in a mountain cave until God called to him to come out. While the details in the scripture describe an extreme disturbance outside of Elijah's cave that can only be the holy conveyance arriving on earth, the event of transfiguration is not described in writing the same as it has been for Enoch, Noah and Jesus. If Elijah was not transfigured after he came out of hiding, he was surely gifted with everlasting life when he ascended into the heavens in a whirlwind. The evidence that provides at least an acceptable conclusion that God transfigured Elijah to have everlasting life is that he later ascended into the heavens in a CE4 abduction event. See 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 11. If the record of Christ telling his disciples that they knew Elijah as John the Baptist is actually true, then there is no practical reason to believe that Jesus' resurrection proved he was the Son of God. Elijah appeared as one of the two witnesses at Jesus' transfiguration after he was beheaded as John the Baptist. If the assumption of the sequence of these events is accurate in this case, 
than Elijah's presence as a witness to Jesus' transfiguration proved eternal life was possible to Jesus, who had known Elijah as John the Baptist. Jesus came to know the truth about John the Baptist's true identity during his transfiguration, along with the other apostles who were present at that time. Well, that concludes the segment of the summary discussion of Part 5. The next episode will be the third segment of this summary. Be sure to subscribe for notifications of new releases. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.